0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Jonah, chapter four, the book of Jonah, chapter four, and you can find this in your bulletin on page six, Jonah, chapter four, verses one through 11, and I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able for the reading of God's word, Jonah, chapter four, verses one through 11. This is God's word, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Lift your hands with me in prayer. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you would help us to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. We know that you do the work of transformation through your word. You humble us through your word. You restore us through your word. Your word is powerful and restorative. And we pray that as we sit under this ministry, that you would do these kinds of things in our hearts, individually and corporately. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our son, Elijah, was born with allergies. His body negatively reacts to dairy products. If you give him a dairy product to eat, his throat will swell up. If you touch him with a dairy product, his skin will break out and he'll start to itch. And Vanessa and I have compassion on our son, and we're hopeful that as the doctors tell us, it's possible that he might outgrow this allergy. And as we have cared for our dear son, Elijah, it's become clear to me that I too was born with an allergy, an allergy to grace you may have this allergy too. Whenever you move toward me with grace, I swell up with pride because I want to deserve it. Whenever you touch me with grace, I start to itch with self-righteousness because I don't like a free handout and I don't want anyone else getting a free handout. I wanna deserve it. I wanna be worthy of it. I want there to be something in me to commend me to God. And as I've thought about my allergy to grace, I've also thought about the father who tenderly cares for his children. And he not only hopes for our growth out of this allergy, he is able to actually affect it. He's able to secure it. And he moves toward us and he's able to heal us of this allergy to grace. And as we wrap up, the book of Jonah, we are going out on a very powerful note. We're going out on a very powerful note that propels us into mission. We've been following the life of this prophet, but we have been discovering more and more that this story is not about the runaway prophet Jonah, really. It's about the runaway love of God for broken people like us. and, And that runaway love comes to its fuller realization in the true and greater prophet, Jesus Christ, who does everything that Jonah failed to do. And it's a beautiful development through this book as we are challenged to look at Jonah. And as we look at Jonah, remember the original hearers, Israel, Looking at Jonah and seeing in Jonah their own brokenness, but also seeing in Jonah the hopefulness that is in God that they can return to the mission, that they can once again be participants in what God's doing in the world. And when we look at the true and greater prophet Jesus Christ, we too can look in him and see our own brokenness, but also our hope of returning to the mission and being restored and seeing his love go around this world because... Of his work through us so we're gonna land the plane on Jonah this morning with a simple a simple idea we're going to see the point of this book in this final chapter we're gonna see the the point it all comes together now all of the themes come together now and we're gonna see what the whole thing was about to begin with and it comes in two points this morning enlarging our hearts and engaging God's mission. Enlarging our hearts and engaging God's mission. This text finds each of us with a problem. We got a problem like the Grinch. Our hearts are three sizes too small. And we need the love of God to enlarge our hearts so that we are transformed and we go into the city with these transformed hearts seeking the good of the city. So what do we see in this text about the the way God enlarges our hearts? Check it out, as chapter three closes and chapter four begins, we move from one surprising response to another, from one surprising response to another. First, the surprising response of Nineveh to the preaching of Jonah. The surprising response is repentance of these wicked, rebellious people. But then as we move to chapter four, we see another surprising response. How Jonah responds to the repentance of Nineveh with resentment. That is also a surprising response. I mean, really, could you imagine me? Getting up here on a Sunday morning, preaching to you, a revival breaks out, y'all start praising, y'all actually start saying hallelujah, <laughs> and then I say, doggone it, I knew you were going to do this, Lord. You would be like, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. What is, what is really wrong with this guy? How is it that he could be so filled with resentment at his ministry taking effect? He's mad. He's mad. Nineveh, look, we talked last time about the change that took place in Nineveh. This was a wicked and rebellious and violent and oppressive city. And after Jonah preaches to them, the power dynamics in the city are shifted. There were were unjust practices institutionally and systemically that were being overturned. There was social transformation as a result of the preaching of the gospel that happened in Nineveh. This is what repentance looked like. It was corporate and it had social impact. Look at all the good things that are happening in Nineveh. And now look at the prophet's response. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And why was he angry? We don't have to guess. Look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why did I run? Why am I mad? Here's why. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So strange. In other words... He is angry because he does not want to see his enemies experience the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. He's mad because he doesn't want to see those people brought into the family. He wants to keep them on the outside. He, he believed some nefarious things that we're going to see here in this text. He was so angry that he no longer wanted to live in a world where Ninevites were rescued by mercy. He wanted grace for himself and karma for Nineveh. He wanted grace for himself and karma for them. He wanted them to get what was coming to them. He wanted his future to be determined by the grace of God, but he wanted their future to be determined by how they did in the present. They're evil, so their future should be filled with judgment and wrath from God. They should get what's coming to them. But I want you to think for a minute about the hypocrisy of this. Because it wasn't but a half a chapter, a chapter and a half ago, that your boy Jonah was calling out to the Lord. He was sinking down, his life was slipping away, and he called on the Lord and he was able to testify. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. And now, While Nineveh is sinking down, while Nineveh is within an inch of its life, while Nineveh is in dire straits, he wants them to, he wants to see God finish the job. The soundtrack playing in his head after his rescue was this Amazing grace. Hallelujah. How sweet the sound that, that that's what that was the soundtrack in his mind when it came to his rescue but the soundtrack playing in his head when Nineveh was in trouble and they were being rescued when you believe in things you don't understand and you suffer <laughs> but now superstition ain't the way like he wanted them to get What was coming to them because they didn't believe things. They believed in superstitions. They believed in many gods. And they called on these various gods. He wanted them to get the end of their idolatry. He wanted to see them crushed. He wanted grace for himself and karma for them. And here's the irony. He uses scripture in order to impugn God. And what's even more, like, how are you going to use God's word to try and bring God's character into question? But the, the irony goes deeper, y'all. The irony goes deeper. And here's why. Because the text that he quotes is from Exodus 34. And in Exodus 34, it was the nation of Israel that had sinned grievously. And they hadn't even repented God responded to them in mercy and grace because of the intercession of Moses. They weren't even repentant at the time and God has mercy on them. And now here's Nineveh repentant and Jonah quotes that passage and says, I didn't want to go because I knew you were gracious. I knew you were prone to show mercy and compassion. How are you going to quote a text where God lavished grace?" On you and your broken people. And then you resent God for lavishing his grace and mercy on that broken people. That is hypocrisy. It's inconsistent. Jonah, look, Jonah believed that his group had the market cornered on grace. And he believed the Ninevites had the market cornered on sin. Think on that. But he and Israel had the market cornered on grace, all the graces for us. And those people, those broken, jacked up people, the, those people who are marching, the, those people who are, who are walking with the tiki torches, those people who are committing atrocious acts overseas, those people have the market cornered on sin. They could only see in themselves the story of grace. And they can only see in the other the story of sin and brokenness. He was so parochial in his vision. And here's the deal. If you look at another person or another group and think they are just too foul, too far off, or too faulty for grace, then you empty the word of its very meaning. And what's even worse As when you feel like you can look at those people and deeply resent them for their sin and their brokenness, what you're really revealing is that you believe that you have something in you or about you to commend you to God. I don't care. Look, look, look. I want you to see in this text, Jonah was able to speak the language of grace, but he was not living the life of grace. He had grace in his mouth and karma in his heart. I know I'm talking to someone out here who knows how to to speak the lingo. You know how to speak the jargon of grace. You know how to talk about the gospel. But the question is, has that gotten to your heart to the degree that you're able to love and walk with other sinful people without putting yourself up above them, without thinking you have something more to commend yourself to God? It's like Jonah, Jonah, and Nineveh were different sides of the same coin, and that's what he couldn't see. Look, you and I may walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's nine miles across, and you may be able to jump out there. Do your long? You may have been a high school long jumper. You might be able to take a run back and jump out there thirty-six feet. I'm only going to get a good five feet. But here's the deal. Does it matter in the end? Are either of us going to get across? That's what it's like when sinners compare themselves in the face of a holy and righteous God. None of us can make it across, can bridge that gap. None of us can commend ourselves to God. None of us can take away the stains. None of us can cover up the guilt. None of us can outperform the shame that hounds us day after day after day. You're trying to get degrees to get that shame away and you're trying to get accolades and achievements at the workplace and you're trying to do all this stuff and go on nice vacations. That can't take the shame away. It won't do it. This is is what we see in this text. It's an amazing thing that we see developing in the life of Jonah. He's good at talking about grace, but his core attitudes and his core disposition of heart Is karma he should have known that if there was grace for people like him then there was grace for people like Nineveh he should have known of all the people on the face of the earth he should have been the most prone to delight and mercy over sinners Of all the people on the planet, the dude who was rescued from the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea by a resurrection fish should have been the first one to rejoice in the rescue of somebody else. He should have been the first on the list. Sign me up. Sign me up to praise God for his mercy to them because I know that mercy. So good. He should have been the first to bring it up. What we, what we see in this story is that even though Nineveh has serious sins, God's grace is even more serious. And that's what Jonah was missing. That's what Jonah was missing. I, I, I think there's something interesting here. Look at verse 4. Look at the Lord's response to the prophet. He's leading him with a gentle yet penetrating question. Do You do well to be angry. Now, God could have been angry justly at their sin. But He said, Do you, Jonah, do well to be angry? Jonah, do you think you hold the moral high ground on Nineveh? You're just like them. You're just like them. I want you to see, Jonah that you're just a different side of the same coin called broken sinner. But why is this included in the narrative, this series of questions, God pursuing his runaway prophet? Why why is this in the text for you and I? I think the narrator wants to expose our hearts so that he can enlarge our hearts. And I'm gonna tell you this, you cannot... And you cannot see your heart be enlarged until your heart is exposed. You cannot, until you open up and see just how bad it is, you will never know how good it can be to be loved by God, to be rescued by him, to be included in his story of rescue. God wants to expose us He wants to expose our hearts and he wants to enlarge our hearts. Check it out. We too have the Jonah syndrome. We've been talking about this through the entire series. We too know what it's like to think grace for me, karma for you. We can contrive a thousand reasons why God should not have compassion on those people or on that person. It goes like this, y'all. It goes like this. And that can be your neighbors. It can be a particular group of people. It can be your spouse. It can be your kids. It can be a coworker. But we come up with a thousand reasons why they need to learn a lesson. Mm-hmm. Anyone ever said that? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Uh huh. They need to learn a lesson. I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. You know, like if you keep on, you know being nice to them, then it may encourage irresponsible behavior. They need to learn that actions have consequences. Uh We try to dress it up. But at the bottom of it, the logic is grace for me, karma for you. How do I know this? How do I know this? this is at the bottom of every heart in here today? How do I know it? Because it's everywhere, y'all. It's everywhere. Consider my lateness versus your lateness. If I'm late to the meeting, oh, you know, it's like, you know, I got caught up in traffic, you know, like, you know, the Metro was 25 minutes late. And if you're the one waiting and that person's late, you're like, yeah, that, that's why you should have got up earlier. That's, that's why uh, you should have made some changes in your life to make sure that you weren't late on people wasting my time. You know how important I am? Oh, uh, here, here's another one, here's another one. When I'm driving and I'm trying to cut in the lane, like, hi, hi, can I get in? Hi, you know, hi. I'm just trying to get to my, you know, just trying to get there. If someone else is trying to cut in on you, you like, I wish you would, I ain't, you better not. I will get some road rage out here right now. Maybe get out this car. I got my pistol under the seat. You know, like, we ain't having it. You see, you see the hypocrisy of it, right? My excuses versus your excuses. My excuses are perfect, perfectly reasonable. They're perfectly rational, of course. But your excuses, yeah, always making excuses, right? All of these things show up in the little stuff. Or let me put it this way. When I don't speak up about the matters that are near and dear to your heart, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for it. But when you don't speak up about the issues that are near and dear to my heart, I call down fire on you and question whether you even know Jesus. Grace for me, karma for you. We get a funky attitude when people do us like we do other people, but we're prone to excuse ourselves and to not let the other off the hook. We're good at talking about grace, family, aren't we? It's in our name, Grace Mosaic. Oh yeah, grace, grace, grace. (laughs) But often our core attitudes and thoughts betray grace. We betray grace. We know the language of grace, but we are often foreign to the life of grace. We often have grace in our mouth and karma in our hearts, but we should be keenly aware of the fact that if there is grace for great sinners like us, then there's grace for the great sinners around us. When we look at the cross, we ought to know that sin is serious, but the grace of God is even more serious God's compassion is even more serious. Of all the people on the planet who should love and rejoice in compassion, it's Christians. We were the runaway rebel people, and God had mercy on us, brought our lives up from the pit. Of all the people who should celebrate compassion toward the broken people, regardless of what their brokenness looks like or how it comes out, we should be that people celebrating compassion. Compassion. And demonstrating it as well. There should be no people more captivated by compassion on the face of the earth. But we also, as a side note, we also have to take Jonah's ethnocentrism into account here. Ethnocentrism is when you put your culture at the center and you make your culture the measure of all cultures. It's, it's like when you go to A restaurant that has ethnic food by the way your foods ethnic I don't care where you're from hot dogs ethnic pizza ethnic hamburgers ethnic I love them all they ethnic all right but it's when you say oh this is weird this is strange you are centering your culture and you are decentering their culture you are othering them But it gets worse than this because we do it in deeper ways. Look at Jonah's ethnocentrism here. He was a nationalist who was only out for the benefit of his group. And this resulted in a spirit of antagonism toward any outside groups, it resulted in a a spirit of antagonism againstness to any group outside of his group. I, I, let me let me draw this in a, a little bit a little bit better. His ethno he wants God to share his ethnocentrism. He wants God to share his broken outlook on those people. He wants a God who's made in his image, in his likeness, who has his biases. That's what Jonah wants. You see this, right? His nationalism, check it, conditioned his faith to the degree that his faith was unrecognizable to God. I'm going to say that again. His nationalism colored his faith to the degree that his faith was no longer recognizable to God. God was like, what is that? That's not what I handed over to you. That is not what I handed over to you. Deuteronomy 7, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest among all the nations. I didn't choose you because there was something wonderful about you but because there's something wonderful about me. (laughs) You see, you see, Israel played an important role in the story of God, but God did not choose them because of their wonderfulness. And that's the key here. That's the difference. Jonah, check it out. Thought his nation was the best in the world. He made his culture the standard for all other cultures. He might've said something like this. I'm proud to be an Israelite, (laughs) where at least I know I'm free. He might have said something like, does any of this sound familiar, y'all? This best country in the world language. Does any of this sound familiar where we make our culture the measure of all? You share and I share the same affliction that Jonah shared. But the point of the narrative is to rebuke that thinking. It's to confront that thinking. We aren't the center. We gotta constantly keep getting out of the center because we somehow always wanna put ourselves, no matter how the merry-go-round goes, we wind up in the center. Me and my culture, me and my peoples, me and my values and commitments. This is what we see in Jonah. But look at how the text exposes his nationalism and ethnocentrism. Jonah wanted a God made in his cultural image. Jonah wanted a God who shared his prejudices. The text is showing a God, however, who tenderly retrieves his people to bring them back to his mission. And that brings us to our second point engaging God's mission. Now, I love that even in this dark moment of Jonah's life, God keeps pressing in on him. God keeps moving toward him. Are you broken? Are you struggling with sin? Do you feel worthless and ashamed of how bad you are? Look at Jonah and then look at God. God keeps moving toward him. We've already discussed the fact two weeks ago that if God were disposed like we think he is, if God loved to blast sinners, this story would not have made it this far, y'all. He would have just smashed Jonah. There would be no book. He would have just smashed the whole world. There would be no no whole book. There would be no story. But look at God. And look at how he engages him. He doesn't come to Jonah and say, Jonah, you're an idiot. What is wrong with you, dude? I'd have jacked you up. (laughs) Now Picture yourself if you were in his position. If you were in God's position, how you would treat Jonah. You'd be like, Come here, come here close, come here close, right? You would be so frustrated with him because his sin is so grievous. It's so high-handed, it's so blatant. Like he's gonna impugn God. It's good that he brings it to God, honestly, which you should do too. But it's crazy, right? God continues to, to father him. Do you... Have any right to be angry? Come on, come on, my son, come near, come near. Do you know that God can no more reject you and disown you when you fail and you sin and you screw it up bad than you could do this do to your kids? Do you think you're more loving than Him? Do you think you're more gracious than God? When you're, when your child is sitting at the table and they spill that whole cup of milk for the fifty eighth time? in the day (laughs) and you are brought to the edge and then you look at that little face and you remember your love for them and you just go and you get the paper towels and you start cleaning it up while you're down there with all the other crumbs. (laughs) Come on, y'all tell the truth. I ain't the only one. You down there. Now, do you think that when you spill and knock over and mess it up, and throw tantrums, and lose your mind, lose lose your natural born mind? Do you think God says, that's it, taking you out of here? I mean, how many of you, no matter how bad the sin of your child has ever been, has said, that's it, pack your stuff, you're out of here. And you take them down, and you leave them on the corner, and you walk away. You may have wanted to. (laughs) Y'all go ahead, keep telling the truth, y'all, because you're telling the truth. You may have wanted to, but never... Never have you gotten to the place where your love was diminished for your child. And that's what we see pictured in God here. And it's only that kind of fatherly love, only that kind of fatherly heart that can actually change us. That's the only thing. Remember, we've said in the past, the law is like a mirror. It can expose you, but it cannot clean you. Ain't nobody trying to use the mirror to get cleaned up, right? Like you you can't, it can't clean you. It can expose you. It can show you what's going on. The rules won't change you, friends. Try harder will not change you. Do better. Turn over a new leaf. Get a pick me up. Five new steps. None of that will change you. Got one witness. But all y'all know, you've tried it. And so have I. Tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed. This will do the trick. And all of those are attempts to change ourselves without God. It's a do-it-yourself spirituality. Even if you use God's law and God's rules without God's help and God's grace, you're still trying to do it yourself. But that's not what we see in this text. Look at how God moves toward the prophet in love. He's pressing in on him. At the very moment, look at this. This is amazing. This is so good. At the very moment that Jonah is resenting the grace shown to Nineveh, God's grace, that same grace is being poured out on him in the very moment. He's resenting, he's he's sawing at the branch that holds him up, but praise God, his saw will never get through that branch of grace. This is what we see in this text. He gets an object lesson in compassion in verses five through nine. And then the text ends with a haunting question. What's what's the, the plant and the worm and all that stuff about? Because we see that Jonah's heart is moved by a plant and not people. He's moved by the loss of a plant that provided him shade. And he's not moved by the idea of an entire city being lost. And God is showing him how out of whack his heart is. His heart is so out of whack with the heart of God. His heart is so small but we see in this text the large heart of God. And the text ends with a haunting question from the Lord. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Should I not pity that great city? I want you to remember how we described that city, ruthless, violent, oppressive, systemically unjust, broken, corrupt, selfish, self-interested. Should I not pity that great city? That's what our God is like. I don't know what you think he's like. I don't know what you think he's like when you mess up. But he's the kind of God who looks at a Nineveh and says, should I not pity that great city? And is this not the very compassion that he has for you? Do you think that there's anything that can dislodge you from his love? Is there any failure that could go deeper than His grace? Do you think that your sin can abound to the degree that His grace cannot superabound? It would never be. It will never be. The book of Jonah ends in tension. God is calling out to Israel, saying to them, Finish the story. Why does it end on a question? Because it's an invitation. We, the readers, should finish the story. There's speculation. We don't know who wrote the book of Jonah, but scholars speculate that it could possibly have been Jonah himself writing in retrospect after having experienced the transforming grace of God and coming to his senses by the love of God. I like that idea. We can't confirm that for sure but I like that idea that he was speaking and writing this book from the standpoint of a changed life. And it's a sort of confession of sorts to invite the rest of his people to that same transformation. Finish the story, write the last chapter by showing compassion to the surrounding nations who don't know my salvation. Y'all that's what the book is saying. Carry out my mission to the world. But here's the deal, Israel, Israel, would fail. They would fail. They would fail the mission because they had the Jonah syndrome. And again, we are looking in the mirror, friends. They were self-righteous. They were intent on serving themselves, protecting their sense of privilege, running from God and rejecting everyone who was not like them. But God would not allow the story to end there. Though all of Israel... Would experience that brokenness in heart and only a remnant would remain. That remnant ultimately came down to one true and better Israelite who fulfilled the story on behalf of Israel, Jesus Christ. He's the true Israel who lives on the mission of God, who goes to those people, who goes to the nations with the story of God's redeeming love. He is the true and better Israel. He's also the true and better prophet. Do you see the preparation for Jesus in this text? Jonah, check it out. Jonah recoils at the redemption of sinners, but Jesus rejoices in the redemption of sinners. He rejoices by singing over us with his love. Jonah asked that he might die because he loathed the salvation of his enemies. But Jesus willingly asked to die because he loved the salvation of his enemies. Jonah was angry enough to die, but Jesus was loving enough to die. Jonah went outside the city to await its destruction he was waiting for another Sodom and Gomorrah. He went out city to await the he went outside that city to await its destruction. The, the, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus went outside the city to absorb our destruction. This is the story of the greater prophet. One greater than all of Israel has come, and one greater than Jonah has come. And it's that love, it's that mission of Jesus to us. It's that love and compassion of Jesus to us. Jesus looked out over Jerusalem in his day and he wept over it. He longed to bring his people home. Do you think he does not have compassion on Washington, D.C.? Can you hear the Lord saying, Should I not have compassion on Washington, D.C.? Get on my mission. Finish the story, y'all. That's why he's dispersed us into the world as his people, so that we will finish the story. Let's play our part in offering this grace to the world as full participants in his mission. Let's finish the story, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son on mission to us. We are grateful, Lord, that even though we are prone to give karma To the other, that you never cease to give us grace in full measure, more than we could ask or think. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us heal us of our allergy to grace. We pray that you would help us to grow through it and become a people more and more formed by love and more and more built up in love. So that we can show compassion to the hurting and needy and broken of this world. Lord, we are praying for your mercy on us and open our eyes to how much grace we have needed and how much grace you have given. And help us, Lord, when we wanna justify ourselves and when we wanna make excuses and make room for ourselves and give lots of grace to ourselves and not to the other, would you just point it out, Lord? Would you just point it out and help us to repent? Help some of us to go home and talk to our spouses and say, you know what, I've been treating you with karma. Will you forgive me? I need grace and I want to start walking in grace. Some of us need to go and repent to our children, Lord. Would you help us? Some of us need to humble ourselves before our neighbors. Lord, let us be marked as a people. Let us be marked by repentance and faith and renewing love day by day. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.